reading today is found on page 449 in the Bibles. Psalm of David, Psalm 6. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul is also greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, JP. I'm going to ask you to turn over to Lamentations 3. This is page 688. Uh, we're in the third sermon of our five-week overview of the book of Lamentations. Um, looking forward to, been looking forward to chapter 3 since I first started uh, planning this uh, sermon series. Much as opposed to last week, I was more dreading that, but still there's some things that are difficult things even in Lamentations 3. Um, it's a little bit different of a, of a chapter though. I'm always amazed at cameras and the, the power of zoom that they have. I remember the first digital camera my wife and I bought. Um, I think it was a whole 1.3 megapixel. Um, so uh, then the, the, the zoom in it was very minimal, but you could zoom in. Then I remember getting more and more you know, cameras that had more zoom options. And even our, our phones, our iPhones or Pixel, whatever phone you happen to have, um, the, the cameras on these things are just absolutely amazing to zoom in on stuff and, and get with such clear detail. And those are just on phones, and of course they have a bunch of other things. I, I've, I've shown a video uh, similar to this uh, before, but this just kind of shows you a little bit of the, uh, the, the power of zoom, okay? You come in from space, and it goes all the way down into the city, and keeps going, and then there's a person, and it goes right to the person's eye, you know? And the video actually goes on, I cut it off. It goes on into the eye and all that stuff and everything. But the point is, is that there's a powerful thing called Zoom that you go and you can see something very clearly. Why am I talking about this? Well, the reason why is because chapter three 
zooms in really close. If chapters one and two and then chapters four and five of these four poems of Lamentations, they're more of like on a national level of what's going on. But in, in verse one of Lamentations three, it says, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. Remember chapter two was all about God's anger towards sin and what sin does. Uh, Lamentations three is this zooming in into a personal experience. Now, you know, People say, well, who is this person? Uh, modern scholarship largely attributes it to Jeremiah, uh, although the book is technically uh, anonymous, and so we can't say 100% for certain on that. But there's a, a lot of overlap of what he's going to, this author is going to uh, write about in chapter 3 that uh, seems that it could be what Jeremiah wrote about in his book, Jeremiah. So I think it's safe to say Jeremiah wrote this, um, although, you know, we kind of hold that with maybe a little asterisk of so saying, but it's potentially not Jeremiah, but it zooms in into this one personal experience of what this person was going through, experiencing the wrath of God uh, on uh, this city uh, during that time. Now, before I, I get into that a little bit more, uh, I want to review a little bit of where we've gone. And, and the question sometimes is, well, why do, you, why do you spend time reviewing? Well, because I want all of us to know this book so much better, and learning requires repetition. And so if you remember, the background of this book was it's a response to the fall of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. Uh, we read about this in the book of Jeremiah. Uh, in Jeremiah chapter 21, this fall is, is prophesied. Second uh, Kings 24 and 25, also Jeremiah 52, record that this event happened. Happening. I, I, we went through a couple weeks ago how 900 years prior to this, it had been prophesied that this could happen. Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. Jeremiah himself had been preaching for 23 years over four different uh, kings that were in the book there of, of, of pleading with him to, to turn back to God, and they did not. And again, I've, I've said this in the last two weeks, I'll say it again. We're making some uh, principles out of this, but this was a historical book, where, which, a historical event, which means that we can't say that God will always do exactly what he did here because he did it to them. This was a, a, a very a straight line. They, they, he said, Israel, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. And they did, and it happened. What we're taking from this, though, is how God sees sin. What we're taking from this is how God responds to that and how terrible it is and uh, how we need to be obedient to God. That's really what we're, we're taking away from this. Remember, we said chapters 1 through 4 are acrostics, meaning that the first letter of each verse uh, begins with a letter in the Hebrew alphabet, um, except for chapter 3 where there's actually three verses. Uh, there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and so that's why chapters 1, 2, and 4 have 22 verses. Chapter 3 has 66 because they actually use three three verses uh, for each Hebrew uh, letter here. Poetry, we said this was poetry last week. We talked about that, how it's meant to be felt. It's meant to awaken the emotions while communicating ideas. And what chapters one and two have done, the first two poems, they show us how terrible sin is and what a gift that lament is for us. And remember we said in the first week that lament is a prayer for that space in between pain and promise, in between heartbreak and hope. And that's really been the tagline for our sermon series here, from heartbreak to hope. And lament is that prayer in between that, the, the painful experience and waiting for the promise from that heartbreak, waiting for hope.
And we said that lament is many things. It, it awakens a sleepy soul. It reminds us our hope is in God, energizes our prayers, it defangs temptation, and it's a better response to sin than what our therapeutic world offers. So these are some of the things that we've already talked about here. What about this third poem, though? Lamentation's third poem is absolutely crucial to living a life for Christ here on earth. The lessons in the third chapter, they build upon the emotional truths communicated in the first two poems that we've already talked about. I told you that our sermon tagline is from heartbreak to hope. And it's in this third poem here that we're going to look at today. It's in here that we see that that path is laid out in a very personal way. And so today's sermon has really two main points. Uh, we're going to talk about one of, one of those points deals with heartbreak and the other one deals with hope. And everyone here will experience the heartbreak that sin invites, but will everyone here experience the hope that only God can provide? That's my prayer and that we all do live in light of that hope. So I'm going to pray and ask God's blessing and then we're going to begin by reading uh, the first part of this, uh, this, this poem together and then we'll... We'll launch into the sermon. Father, Lord, we do pray. We've gone through a really quick review, um, just trying to get reoriented to what we've already covered. But Lord, we pray for this, uh, this sermon here now that I have the, the privilege of delivering that I, I pray to be led by your spirit and that I would only say things that are accurate to the text and helpful for those who are listening, whether in person or uh, online. We're thankful that we can come to you at any time. We're thankful that your spirit uh, will illuminate our minds to the scriptures. And that's what we're praying for. And I'm praying that, that uh, I would be able to communicate that well. So remove distractions, we pray. And we pray that we'd be able to have a better understanding of this text and a, and, and a, and a better understanding of you and that we worship you in sincerity and in truth. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Number one, so sin invites heartbreak into our lives. Lamentations 3, verse 1, I'm going to read 1 uh, all the way down to uh, about verse 18. It says this, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and, and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy, though I call and cry for help. He sets out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore, uh, and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I've become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel. He made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. It's poetry, and so there's some hyperbole in there. But this is a very personal experience that 
Jeremiah or someone is giving to us. So we've looked at it from a national perspective before, but now we're looking at it from a very personal experience. And, and what this is saying is that when sin uh, it goes unchecked and it goes un, uh, without repentance, uh, it really just invites a lot of heartbreak into our lives. And that's a truth that we have to believe and we have to live by, and it really would help us if we did. The decisions that we make, we know that if we sin against God, it's actually just inviting heartbreak into our lives. Did you notice how that God uh, is said to respond to sin in this? There's a commentator, Stephen Smith, and, and he made a list of this, and so I, I, I'm giving this to you because I, I found he, he summarized it really well, uh, pulling out all the metaphors in the first few verses of of uh, Lamentations 3. He says that, first of all, that, that God, he, he responds to sin as an enemy. Now, I don't know if you saw that in verses 1 through 6, but it's almost like someone who is, who is opposing and he's the enemy against Jeremiah here. And it's not that he's against Jeremiah personally. He's against the unchecked sin of the nation. And Jeremiah is feeling that effects very personally. So how is God perceived here is almost as an enemy because God has to be the enemy of sin, does he not? He has to be. And so when we sin, we're just inviting that into our lives. Secondly, he talks about how it's almost like God's a warden. He says, I don't know if you, you remember in verses 7 through 9 about these walls and in Jeremiah's situation, uh, he had been thrown into a pit. He'd been thrown into a cistern, and uh, we read about that in Jeremiah, where uh, because of he was preaching the truth, uh, they didn't want to listen to him, and so first they barred him from the temple, and then they threw him into a pit, and uh, he was stuck in mud uh, in there, and so finally he's saved, and he, he's brought out of it, but uh, you know, he's, he's in prison, so to speak, and he says, you know, this is the experience of what sin does, and it, 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 it entraps us, and God has to respond to this almost like a, a warden does to prisoners. Not only that, it's like as a wild animal, verses 10 and 11, he, he's like a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. Um, it's like, you know, the, those are two animals that if I'm, on, I'm out in the wild, those are not the first two animals I want to come across, right? In fact, I, I saw this video, uh, you know how these videos are on social media and and they get you because they just keep playing one after the other, you know, and there's one of them, this guy was on a, on a walk, and he's walking down the path, and, and he sees a bear up there on the path, and, you know, I mean, I would have been scared too, but it's kind of funny, listen, he's like, hey, Mr. Bear, be nice, Mr. Bear, hey, Mr. Bear, you know, and he's trying to walk away, I'm going to leave you alone, Mr. Bear, I'm sure the bear appreciated the respect that was given to him, you know, but, uh, you know, those are not the animals that you want to, to encounter, remember, David David, when he proved his worth to Saul, what did he say? He says, I took out a bear. I took out a lion, right? I mean, this is, this is, this is about how God responds, though, to sin. Is that, you know, in a very forceful, formable way. Not only that, but as a warrior, verse 12, he bent his bow and set it on me as a target for his arrow. He goes after sin. Because he has to. Not because he's, he's you know, unjust, not because he's unfair, but because he knows what sin does to us. He knows how terrible sin is and how it just ruins lives. It just ruins lives. It ruins the lives of our own, but it also ruins our family's lives so many times. And this is the thing is that sometimes we talk about this of like sin is not that big of a deal. It's not that, that, that huge of a situation or it's not really hurting anyone. I hope that one of the things we're taking away from this series is that sin is far worse than we think it is. 
But this is how God has to respond to this. As a hunter, warrior, hunter. I mean, look at all of these things, these metaphors that are given in these uh, these first few verses here, how God has to respond to sin. I mean, sin invites heartbreak into our lives. And yet, some of us are just hanging on to some sin in our lives or something, and we're just, we know it's wrong. And I'm not going to pretend to know, and I don't. I don't have a, an individual in my mind. I don't have any of sin in my mind. I'm just, I just know that by, by who we are, that we need to repent of some sin. And we need to say no longer because this is inviting pain. It's inviting heartbreak into our lives. But how does it leave us? You see, this is what Jeremiah then tells us in verses 15 through 18. It's not only what, what well, God has to respond to it, but he says that it leaves us in a certain way. In verse 15, he talks about how he's filled with bitterness. I mean, sin, have you ever noticed that people who are, are struggling with sin, they're very bitter people. Because they're hanging on to the sin. And, 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 and what is it? It's pride. And, and when pride is unchecked, when pride is not confessed, it, bitterness comes out. And people just get angry and people get bitter about stuff. It, it, it's because they're hanging on to some sort of sin. And this is how sin leaves us, is bitter. Miserable. Verses 15 through 16. You know, he's filled with bitterness. He's saved with wormwood. I don't even really know what that means, but it's bad. Verse 16. He has made my teeth grind on gravel. That doesn't sound fun. Made me cower in ashes. I mean, this is a miserable life here. And sometimes it just it pains me to see. I, I see believers who who just will not let go of something sometimes. And they're the most miserable people. I say, just just get rid of get rid of your pride and say you're sorry. You repent. I mean, one of the things that if we're watching a, a movie. And there's a relationship, and then, you, you know the story, there's, there's like a misunderstanding or something, and then they refuse to talk to each other, you know, the storyline, and they assume this, and everything, and they get angry with each other. I can't tell you how many times Anuk and I are like basically just shouting at the TV, just talk to each other, right? So, hey, you know, stop hanging on to this, right? It just, it leaves us miserable. And we know this. But yeah, we keep going back to it. We know this, but we don't want to give it up. And then it, the bitterness comes into play when we just make excuses or we, it's everyone else's fault. Well, it's their fault because it's, no, it's not everyone else's fault. We got to take it. We got to take ownership. We got to repent of it. And we got to forsake it. Sin just, all it does is it brings heartache into our, our lives. It makes us anxious. Versus the last part of 16, I, you know, I cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. If someone, and again, there's a lot of reasons for anxiety, but a lot of it is rooted in sin, if not all of it, if not most of it, right? That's very unpopular to say right now, but the Bible is very clear. Be anxious for nothing. You say, well, that's easy for you to say, Jeremy, because you know, I, I get it. I get it. There's been times that I've shared it before where it just hit me, and I had this panic attack which it, it just it took me by surprise and so I totally get it and so I'm not saying that every time you have an anxious thought or something like that well you're just not you're not getting rid of sin that, that's not my point but my point is is that this is a result of sin anxiety so we should at least chase that thought down does that make sense we should at least chase it down as we're trying to figure those things out here it leaves us exhausted 
Verse 18, I mean, it, it just absolutely, my endurance has perished. Just tired and then hopeless right there. So other than that, it's great, okay? You know, I mean, look at this list here that Jeremiah or someone is giving us and says, this is my personal experience of how God, when he puts his hand on sin and when he deals with sin, this is how it leaves me. This is how he is. And he's like, man, I thought this chapter was the good chapter. I thought this was the encouraging chapter, right? So there are many lessons that we can take away from the book of Lamentations, but perhaps the most powerful lesson is how terrible sin really is. And we live with sin, and we do things that we know are wrong, and we, and we refuse to repent of it, or we bide our time with it. We can't do that. We just cannot do that. We must see sin the way God sees it. The first part of Lamentations 3 shares this personal experience of how God responds to sin and how sin leaves us. And it's not pretty. It's just not. But yet, thankfully the chapter of the poem doesn't end there. Yet there is hope is possible even during heartbreak. Now it's interesting, in verse 18 he just said, my endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. Read on with me, verse 19. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind. And therefore, I have hope, colon. He says, even in the midst of all this, even in all of how sin has left me, even in all of the, the experiences that I'm finding here and all this personal experience of, of God's judgment. And, and Jeremiah was the one, and he was the one that kind of got caught up in the judgment. He was the one that was imploring people to turn back to God, but he was dealing with the national effects of this. And he says, this is what sin does. He says, but I remembered something. I called something to my mind, and therefore I had hope. So really, hope is possible because or by recalling God's covenantal love. This is verses 21 through 39, okay? I already read uh, all the way through 21. He says this, I call this to mind, and therefore I have hope, verse 22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, okay? Steadfast love there, this is this idea. It's a, it's a very specific Hebrew word that's used there to talk about God's covenantal love, okay? It's the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. And they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. And it goes on from there. Hope is possible because when we recall God's covenantal love. Now, how is that described here? I mean, notice that it says it's merciful, right? His covenantal love is absolutely merciful there. It says his, his mercies never come to an end. The way that this is, there's a parallelism here that's happening in verse 22. This is, this is a, a common uh, a way of poetry, of, uh, of writing, where it says the steadfast love never ceases. The mercies never come to an end. He's talking about the same thing there, but He's just using synonyms. And so he says the, the covenantal love, his mercy, his, his, his covenantal love is merciful. It, it, it's, it's that he, he, he shows us love when we don't deserve it. 
He shows love even in the midst of, of when God is dealing with, with sin. There's always mercy available because we can cry out to God. As long as we have breath on this earth, we can cry out to God for salvation. And that's what, that's what we constantly implore you to do here is cry out to the Lord for salvation. God's covenant to love is merciful. It renews each day. Did you see that verse 23? They're new every morning. Uh, there's so much encouragement there. I, you know, have you ever had a, just a really, really bad day, and you're just like, I cannot wait for this day to end. You ever had one of those days? And so you just go to bed, and you're like, I just want to go to sleep, and I just want tomorrow to come. Now, why do we want that? Because instinctively we know we get a reset. Things start new. The sun comes up again. We get a reset. Now, that doesn't mean all the problems go away. In fact, they don't. you got to deal with them. But there's something about a new day. It's a new, you know, to use a football analogy, it's a new set of downs, okay? You know, it's, it's, a, it's a new day. And yet, wouldn't it be tragic if God's mercy didn't reset every day? Wouldn't it be tragic if he said, you've used your allotment of mercy, but it renews every day. It just, just, it just, it just keeps it's recharging. Think about that, how we would love it in life if things like that happened. Can you imagine if your credit card balance automatically went to zero every day? Amen. Can you imagine if your gas tank filled every day? Every morning you woke up, oh, full tank, ding, that's good. All right? Can you imagine this? Can you imagine if your children's rooms were cleaned every day? All right? Can you imagine this, right? There's a reset every day. We, you know, I'm giving these illustrations like, oh, that would be nice. Oh, that would be nice. God's mercies renew every day. That's just an amazing concept. And we read a verse like this. Oh, yeah, that, that's very good poetry there. Good job, Jeremiah. And we move on. No, there's more than just good poetry here. This is life-giving. This is in the midst of heartbreak. In the midst of sin just invites so much heartbreak. In the midst of it, there's hope because God's mercy, his covenant to love renews every day. In verse 23, he's faithful. Great is your faithfulness. That hymn we're going to sing as our community song, um, I believe, I think he is, is uh, comes from this text right here. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. He's faithful. It's enough, verse 24. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. His covenant of love is enough. And you think about that, again, it's easy to put these labels on it and just not really fully understand the magnitude of this. But when you think about the sin that has been being dealt with, you think about the judgment, you think about the description that Jeremiah just gave and how the sin invites heartbreak into his life and into the nation's life. And he says, and all that goes on, he's a warrior, he's a hunter, he deals with all this, yet his mercy renews every day and he is enough. His love is enough. I, I don't have to, to, to earn this. I don't have to, to, to try to work towards this or something. I just need to believe and follow him. It's enough. It's enough. So I don't know what sin you're dealing with. 
Or maybe with sin that's in your past that you've just never dealt with, you've kind of hid it and you just kind of pushed it down to the side and you said, you know what, and many years have gone by, but this has never really been dealt with. Can I just assure you that God's covenant of love is enough? Now again, there's consequences and you may have to deal with some of those things. I've given this illustration before that, you know, if, if I go, I go down to the corner and I rob the bank I come back to church and it's found out that I've robbed the bank. I can apologize to the church and say, listen, as a pastor, you know, probably shouldn't have done that. Okay, uh, you know, would you please forgive me? I am 100% confident that this congregation would say, Jeremy, we love you. We forgive you. I'm also confident that I wouldn't be the pastor here anymore. And that would be Right. Okay, so sin does have effects. So I'm not saying it doesn't have effects on this life, but for our eternity, my, my, my standing with God is covered by his covenantal love. It's enough. It's enough. Not only is it enough, his covenantal love is good and trustworthy. Verse 25, um, those, excuse me, verse 25, it says, it is good for those who wait for the Lord, for, or wait for him, for the soul that seeks him, it is good that one should wait quietly for the Lord. It's, it's absolutely what we need. It's good. Sometimes we question, and we may not do it out loud, but internally we question if God is good. And right here, can I just assure you from this poem here that Jeremiah or someone like Jeremiah wrote many years ago by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit saying, God is good. Even when dealing with the heartbreak that sin invites into our lives, I love this, this, this poem because it's raw. It's not just pretending that sin doesn't cause problems. It's not just saying that if you're a Christian, everything is great. Everything's wonderful. Absolutely not. But it shows that there's hope in the midst of those things. When we recall, when we bring back to our memory God's covenant to love, he is good and trustworthy. I also love in verse 25 and 26 this idea of waiting, that his covenant to love is worth the wait because so many times it feels like God is not on time. <laughs> I say this, I've said it before, that God is always almost late. All right, He's always almost late. He's never late. But he's one of those people that just, just he shows up. He, he's, he's one of the situations where it feels like he just shows up right at the last second a lot of the time. He's worth the wait. So there's so many more things that we could talk about here. This idea of waiting here is this actively resting in the goodness of God with a hopeful expectation that someday that our trials will come to an end. A commentator, Phil Breakin, talks about it that way, and I thought it was helpful. And so we just have this idea of that waiting in God. All these types of things is that we're resting in his hope. His hope is possible when we recall the covenantal love of God and we see finally that it's compassionate. Verse 32. Though he cause our grief, he will have compassion. So hope, in the midst of dealing with the, the, the heartache that sin invites, hope is possible by recalling God's covenantal love. But it's also, but this is the key here in verse 40 and following, is by repenting of our sin. Verse 40, it says this, it says, Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to the God in heaven. We have transgressed and rebelled, and you have not forgiven. Why did he not forgive yet? Because they haven't repented yet. 
That's the key right there. He says that we have not been forgiven yet because we haven't repented. So he's saying, let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. That's what the word repent means, is to turn or to return. So let's test and examine our ways. It goes back to chapter 1 and verse 18. It says, the Lord is right, for I have rebelled against his word. We have transgressed, we have rebelled. And there has not been forgiveness because there's not been repentance. And this is what Jeremiah is bringing to the forefront. He's saying, as much as there's heartache because of sin, hope is possible because if we repent, God forgives. It's a beautiful thing. Test, examine your ways. Look at our lives. Look and see what is in our, I think of Psalm, it says, that, uh, 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 search me, try me, and know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. Those are prayers that we should be praying. Those are prayers that we should be asking God, God, what are the blind spots in my life? What are the things I'm just being comfortable with that are actually sin against you, against other people? Show me these things so I may confess them and forsake them. Return to the Lord. That's a theme of the prophets, by the way, of this return. Pray and confess. We see this of lift up our hands, our hearts and our hands to God. It's talking about prayer and talking about confession there. Later on, he talks about, in verse 55, of calling on the name of the Lord. Now look over here. I, I just, since I just mentioned it, let me just mention verse 55. It says, I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit, you heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. You've taken my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. Now, that verse I just read, verse 57, is really the only quote from God we have in the book. And it's, do not fear. That's instructive on a book called Lamentations. You came near when I called to you. Do not fear. Now, look at this. Um, Go back and look at chapter 3 and verse 8. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. That's his experience. But then, over here he says, I called on your name, verse 55. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear. You came near when I called and said, do not fear. Well, what gives? And the first part, he says, I prayed, you didn't hear. But now he's saying, I prayed, and you did hear. Why did he do one and not the other? What was in between? Repentance. That's what was in between. And Jeremiah's laying this out. He's laying this out to say that we need to repent of this, and then you will hear us. Because Psalm 66, verse 18 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And so we need to repent of our sins. And God comes near and he hears us. And it's interesting here um, that uh, when he says, do not fear, that had to be such a, 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 just an encouraging word. And the moment of when everything's crashing down, everything's falling apart. And he says, do not fear. But you know, it is only the repentant who have no need to fear God. It's only the repentant who have no need need to fear God. And that's, I think, the beauty of this, uh, this part here is when he says that I, I repented, we repented, I called, you heard, and he says, do not fear. Why? Because he's good. His mercies are new. His covenantal love is sufficient. And this is the point of this third poem of this book here. So hope is possible. 
by recalling God's covenantal love. It's possible by repenting of our sin. And then it's possible by trusting in God's justice. And we see this in the end of the, the poem here, verse 58. It says, you have taken up my cause, O Lord, you redeem my life. Verse 59, you have seen the wrong done to me, O Lord, judge my cause. You have seen all their vengeance and all their plots against me. Who's he talking about here? Well, he's talking about the people, the Babylonians, who were who were terrorizing the city. They were the means of God's judgment, but they were terrorizing the city. And, and here, Jeremiah says that you are going to deal with them. Verse 64, you will repay them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. You have given them dullness of heart. Your curse will be on them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them for, uh, uh, from under your heavens, O Lord. And so what he's saying, he says, I'm just going to trust the justice of God here. I'm going to have hope that God's justice will always prevail. Just as he's been just in dealing with us, according to our sin, he's going to be just with the Babylonians according to their sin as well. And so hope comes when we just trust in God's justice. God will deal with those who seem to escape judgment in our world. I was trying to think of an example of this. I remember when I was in eighth grade, yeah, eighth grade, I went to a different school, and one of my teachers there shared a story, a very personal story. Um, uh, his son was very young when he was struck and killed by a drunk driver. And uh, there was two people in the car, as I recall the story. There was two people in the car that killed his son. When the police got to the scene, um, both the people were out of the vehicle. And... Uh, they blamed each other for who was driving. So in a sense, they, didn't, they couldn't prove who was driving. And so with the legal system, it, it just ended up where they really didn't get punishment. I don't remember all the details of the case. I'm sure something happened, but it definitely was not justice. And I remember my teacher sharing the story of feeling, I mean, you can imagine if you had a child that was taken from you by drunk driving, how uh, you would want that person to have to uh, pay for that. Justice had to be served, but it wasn't in this case. He told a story of, he said, I just began to pray that God would execute his justice for my son's death. And uh, I won't go into all the details. I don't remember all of them. I remember one of them. But suffice it to say that within a couple years, uh, God obviously brought his hand of justice on those two individuals. I remember my teacher saying, you know, God will always be just. God will always be just. And even if you think that you're getting away with something or even if you think that someone else is getting away with something, God will deal with it. God is just. He will. And so on one hand, that's encouraging. On the other hand, it's terrifying. But it doesn't have to be terrifying because remember, only the, re the repentant have no reason to fear God. So if we repent of our sins and we ask God to forgive us our sins, again, I'm not saying that all consequences go out the window. All of our eternal consequences go out the window. Our standing before God, we can actually have peace with God. Romans chapter 5 says that we can have peace with God. You, a sinner. Me, a sinner. We can have peace with God. And so, 
repent of our sins. Maybe some of us, there's, throughout the course of the sermon, there's been some things that you've thought of, like, I need to repent of this. Maybe there's somebody you need to talk to. Maybe you need to say, you know, I was wrong. Would you please forgive me? I don't know. All I know is that this text is very pointed. It's very pointed to us to say that sin invites heartbreak, but hope is possible because God's covenant to love. Repent. Repent. Sin is terrible, so fight it. Hate it. Pray to see it the way God sees it. There's so many things that we could be hanging on to. Lust, anger, bitterness, control issues, alcohol, drug abuse, inappropriate relationships. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. But just remember that hope is only found in God's covenantal love through repentance.